message out of the message. Greetings, exalted one. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight and friend to Captain Solo. I know that you are powerful, mighty Jabba, and that your anger with Solo must be equally powerful. I seek an audience with your greatness to bargain for Solo's life. With your wisdom, I'm sure that we can work out an arrangement which will be mutually beneficial and enable us to avoid any unpleasant confrontation. As a token of my goodwill, I present to you a gift. These two droids. What did you say? Both are hardworking and will serve you well. This can't be. Artu, you're playing the wrong message. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 511, Return of the Jedi, Act 1. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Luke Skywalker to my R2-D2, we've got Carl LeClaire. Oh, I can't give you a salute on an audio podcast. I mean, I can. They just can't see it, Jason. <laughs> right. That's that's true. But I can most definitely go shook and uh, shoot your lightsaber up in the air <laughs> and let you catch it. And uh... <laughs> What a great sound effect. Shook. <laughs> shook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, so we, here we are, Jason, kicking off our celebration of Return of the Jedi in honor of its 40th anniversary later this month. Um, Going to just kind of talk through the movie one act at a time uh, for the next several weeks and uh, just have some fun talking Return of the Jedi. I, Jason, this is your favorite Star Wars movie. Yes. Yes. 40 years of Return of the Jedi. We're just going to have some fun. Uh, talking through it, uh, celebrating the goodness that is this movie. Uh, and it, uh, as Carl said, it is my favorite Star Wars movie. And there's a lot of goodness in this uh, to me. So um, we're not going to take it too seriously. I'm sure we'll get uh, deep at some points during the discussion. Uh, but, I mean, I'm I'm just here to have fun. I'm here to celebrate the movie and uh, i'm very very excited to be doing this right now so uh, uh as <laughs> as am i um and and we were just talking off air quickly with your birthday coming up this weekend happens to be on mother's day this year um just like george lucas the two of you share the same birthday may 14th uh you're yes. you're sharing with me that you're gonna go see return of the jedi in concert just in a few more days Yes, absolutely. I'm heading back to, to Tucson uh, to spend the weekend with my family for all the festivities and uh, kicking it off by going to go see Return of the Jedi at the Symphony with my mom Friday night. So uh, that'll be super fun. Uh, and I'm, I've am i seen A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back at the Symphony, uh, so I have to round out the trilogy and, and get Return of the Jedi as well. So 
it's just super awesome that it happened to be my birthday weekend. So uh, it's the stars aligned, Carl, and I had <laughs> to make sure it happen. <laughs> I, I did. I keep forgetting that you'd also seen a new hope because we've both seen empire in concert. Um, I'll, I'll also get to see return of the Jedi at the end of the month here in Boston at the Boston symphony orchestra. Can't wait for that. So uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about those experiences because Jason, the last week of May, we are going to talk the Return of the Jedi music in in particular after finishing yes. our, our three act breakdown. So lots of Return of the Jedi love for y'all here this May, uh, and we welcome you to this this fun, exciting journey. Uh, whether you're a new listener, an old listener, or somewhere in the middle, we're just so glad to have you as we celebrate Episode Six. Indeed, and I, I don't think we should. Uh... Uh, delay any longer, Carl. Uh, let's let's jump into this. Um, well, obviously yeah. the movie opens, Just and we get introduced to the second Death Star, right? And something. So I was fortunate enough to get to see, as I I think I mentioned last week on our on our Star Wars Day special. I got to go see Return of the Jedi in theaters. I know you also got to see it this past weekend. You know, we both mm-hmm. were able to get out in, in honor of it being back in theaters for the week. Uh, so much fun seeing it on the big screen. And as I was watching it this time, uh, something hit me right at the beginning of the movie, Jason. And it was just this sense of nostalgia. Return of the Jedi is already a nostalgic Star Wars movie. We've only had two previous. But as I was sitting in the theater, I had not seen in a big theater setting, that experience of a star destroyer coming over your head. And it was mm. so daunting. It was so cool watching that on the big screen again. And it's basically just a slowed down version of a new hope, right? It's not quite as yeah. fast. It's not chasing a ship in combat like it is in a new hope, but just like this opening shot, there's this nostalgic feel of, Hey, remember how exciting and, and out of this world it was to have this massive ship pass over you. Here it is again. Um, and, that, right. and I, I say that with no judgment, but just, there's a lot of it, it just it really that was the kind of what grabbed me right from the get go, Jason, and it kind of impacted the way I watched Return of the Jedi that night in theaters. I was like, oh, this is the first time Star Wars gets nostalgic because Star Wars, George George is constantly nostalgic in the prequels and there's things even in the sequels that are nostalgic. So I would argue Return of the Jedi is the first nostalgic Star Wars movie just with this opening shot. I uh, self referencing nostalgia mm. first maybe for the first time yes star wars as a whole i think is nostalgic for classic storytelling in general mm. um and it plays on that and i i don't think people necessarily um think of it that way a lot because you know it, it it's it was doing it in such a new way at the time and especially back in the seventies and eighties, it was all just new because of the new technology and the new way that they were exploring these old stories or old story tropes. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, star Wars, you know, it's just, a, as it has been described uh, again and again, it is a modern myth and it's nostalgic for old tropes, but yes, I will definitely agree with you that, a self-referencing nostalgia? Absolutely. And I noticed that too. While I was watching, it was like, oh, yeah, this, he's, he's already doing a new hope. Uh, <laughs> just six years later. So, um, uh, and there's a Death Star again. So, 
Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, we've got a whole other one. This one's bigger and it's not complete yet. Um, I was wondering, Jason. You know, we're, did did hmm. you know in early drafts for Return of the Jedi that there were supposed to be two Death, death Stars in the movie? I don't think I did know that. Yeah, there's some some Ralph McQuarrie. Surprise me. I, yeah, there's a there's a Ralph McQuarrie print where you where he did it up where he did a sketch of it where there's two Death Stars. Uh, so yeah, in, in early drafts, George decided, well, instead of doing the death star again, I'll do two, two death stars, but then I got shrunk to the death star too. So, <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, that, <laughs> I think that might've been a little much, um, <laughs> having two of them. Yep. Uh, it's, it's already, it's already pushing it a little bit to have the second one. Um, but you know, uh, at this point we just kind of accept it. <laughs> so yeah. I I was thinking uh, this, you know, getting ready for this. I was like, you know, what's some what's some fun questions, some fun ideas to talk about, especially this opening sequence. Um, and I always, Moff Jurjurid, the poor guy. Uh, I always was like, how did he land this job? And like, what what did he have to say to all of his people after after this scene? When Vader's like, yeah, the Emperor is coming. The Death Star better be on schedule. Uh, if you don't, the Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. Like, what does Jurjurod have to go and say to the rest of his people after that? Like, how does he, <laughs> how does he actually like double our efforts? What, how does he, <laughs> how does he make sure the battle station is operational as planned? You know, like, poor guy. Um, I, I can assure you, though, that we probably wouldn't be having this problem if. Piet was Moth and not Admiral. Um. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, j- just think of how different, though, j- uh, Moff to Jared is compared to somebody like Tarkin. You know, mm. Vader is kind of almost a lapdog to Tarkin in A New Hope. But here, at this point, I mean, Empire establishes Vader as a scary dude. His subordinates are terrified of him. And they just... Open this movie by instilling that even more, that the Empire is run by a select few who instill fear in their subordinates. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, any sort of system that is run by power and elicits power through fear, we know that those inevitably fall apart because people get sick of it. <laughs> um, and and I think what's interesting to me with you know, so Jared is super intimidated by Vader right off the get go. It continues that trope from Empire that you know he is a scary dude. Um, mm-hmm. But what I'm wondering, Jason, what I was thinking about most recently is when Vader makes that insinuation, right? The Emperor is coming, and he's he's even harder than I am. What sort of what do you think the average Imperial officer? We're not. I'm not talking like the runt or the you know the the everyday stormtrooper. I'm talking just the average. Imperial officer, what sort of stories do you think circulate about Palpatine? And do they do they know he's a Sith? Like, do they know he's this dark lord of the Sith? Or do they still just think he is, you know, the political head of state? Um, I don't know if they know he's a Sith, per se. Uh, they probably know he's into, you know, some of this this weird force magic stuff that Vader is into. Uh, but my, my impression of how things are is that the emperor is a bit of a recluse. 
uh, and that if you do end up getting to see him, it's uh, you better have all of your stuff together or you won't ever see him again for one reason or another. Um, so I assume because he's Moth, Jerjerid or Jerjerad, Jerjerid, however you want to pronounce yeah. his name, has met the Emperor before. Since he is a Moth, I would assume that. Um, and since he has survived a meeting with Palpatine, uh, he's probably well aware of the power that Palpatine holds and how easy it could be to wind up on his bad side and what that means. So, or at least has heard stories about, you know, the, (laughs) how easily and quickly people who, who don't, who, who fail the emperor are dealt with. Um, And since Vader is that enforcer, you know, in, in some cases, uh, can imagine the terror that sweeps through the imperial ranks when you find out oh the emperor is visiting your place <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah yeah get it together guys <laughs> right right you think he had to change his underwear after that meeting uh probably <laughs> <laughs> um uh the the uh you know the Going on to Tatooine now, and basically the next about forty odd minutes of this movie is really the 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 Jabba adventure. Um, mm-hmm. One story I still always have such a fondness for is, and Anthony Daniels has told it a few times, and I can't remember the first time I heard him tell it, but that scene of him and R two, you know, approaching Jabba's palace. Anthony Daniels tells this really adorable story about how when they were filming at one time, George was walking alongside of him, kind of squatting really low, just making beep sounds um, so that Anthony could kind of like act the part out a bit before they had the model ready for R2. I just I find that so comical. George Lucas just squatting down real low going beep, beep, boop, boop, beep, beep. (laughs) Uh, uh, Excuse me. Um, Beep, beep, boop, bop. Yeah. Uh, can I get a Coca-Cola? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, it, it's a great, it's a great story. And I, I personally always enjoy the fact that we, we open up this whole rescue mission with the droids again and, you know, getting R2 and 3PO wandering the Tatooine desert again, mm-hmm. uh, being that sort of nostalgic callback to a new hope, you know, Everything rhymes, uh, as George is fond of saying. So we're, we're back on Tatooine. We start off with R2 and 3PO again doing their thing. Uh, and instead of trying to find Obi-Wan Kenobi, they're trying to rescue Han Solo. Uh, and, you know, they, they go into Jabba's palace and deliver the message from Luke, which is uh, fun uh, because then that's when 3PO learns that they're being given as a gift. Um, (laughs) These two two droids, what did you say? Actually, you played the wrong message, you know. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I I always enjoy the fact that we start everything off and for probably the first five or so minutes of this tattooing adventure, the good guys, we're just led along by R2 and 3PO. And we, you know, obviously we get the message, 
we explore Jabba's palace. We get, we get the the one off scene in the droid torture room, uh, and then we're we're following three PO again uh, from his point of view when Leia and Chewie are entering. So it's still, for the most part, a lot of it is done from their point of view, uh, especially for the first five or so minutes of this adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, kind of continuing that, that callback to a new hope. Hey, remember how silly these droids were and they're being silly again. Um, yes. You know, I, I think I mentioned uh, last week when we were, when we were talking about our experiences seeing it in the movies just the other week. Uh, you know, there was somebody sitting next to me who was just laughing so hard at this, th- the 3PO and R2 banter at the beginning of this movie. Um, so again, really kind of replicating that same sensibility we got in, in the opening of A New Hope. Um, one thing I want to say about when they approach the palace, uh, one of my favorite changes, right? I mean, George has been famous almost every subsequent release before Disney. George made some sort of tweak to almost all of these movies. And one of my favorite tweaks he made to return of the Jedi is in the Blu-ray edition when we get this kind of massively extended door to Jabba's palace. Um, if you've watched anything prior to the Blu-ray, it's 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 a set piece, so it's a much smaller looking door. Um, and it's fine, but I love the way the Blu-ray really opens it up to really give it a sense of man, this place is really big. Um, and in the Book of Boba Fett, kind of runs with that too. And when when we see uh, when we see some of the scenes of him and Fennec uh, infiltrating the palace through the main mm-hmm. door there, yeah. So I I just really like that addition. Um, of, of the massive door. And uh, to your point about the message, I, I love that scene where R2 plays the message from Luke. Again, kind of a nostalgia of the message from Leia, right? I mean, it's it's not the same. It's a little bit different, but this movie opens with a droid carrying a message, right? Yep. Um, and the thing I appreciate about Luke's message is he's really leaning into what Yoda taught him in Empire, which is, a Jedi uses, you know, the force for knowledge and defense, never attack. To me, R2 and 3PO are kind of the white flag that Luke is is waving before entering the place, right? Like he's going to try and mm-hmm. do this as peaceful as he can because that's what a Jedi does is a Jedi ought to first try to negotiate like Mr. Kenobi um, and long before ever taking up arms. So I like that R2 and 3PO are kind of this white flag our 3PO doesn't have a clue what's going on, which is typical. No. Um, and what uh, I got to say, something that's always made me uh, think of this scene a little bit differently is the in the Shadows of the Empire novel, at the end of the novel, when Luke is recording the message to put into R2, uh, when Luke says, you know, um, I want to bargain with you for Solo's life. He then, in in the Shadows of the Empire novel, we're told that he pauses for what he expects will be Jabba's laughter. And because that's what Jabba does, like, right? Like, Luke doesn't continue right on. So I've always found it kind of silly that Shadows wanted to include why there's a bit of a pause there, because Luke knew Jabba would laugh. (laughs) So I don't know. I just, I love that little thing. Yeah. I mean, and obviously he does. And it, it's, it's a good scene and it sets up the fact that, you know, Luke is a lot more mature, you know, mm-hmm. even from the, even from empire, obviously mm-hmm. way more mature from, from a new hope, but he is in the short period between empire and Jedi. 
he has taken a huge leap in maturity and skill. Uh, and this sort of gives us our first peek at that. And then it's even further reinforced when he enters the palace and, you know, just gestures to the guards and they have, they fall back, you know, he sort of does the force choke a little bit on him. I, I assume it's to incapacitate rather than to kill. Um, that's my uh, reading of the scene. Um, but, and then he just walks into Jabba's palace, mind tricks Bib Fortuna to get the audience he wants and makes his case right there. And he's definitely uh, kicking it up a notch mm-hmm. from when we last saw him getting his new hand put back together at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, can I say one of the little moments that really got me laughing watching it in theaters? And again, it, it's this is part of like the, the joy, like we were talking last week, of, of watching these movies in a communal setting. When 3PO goes... R2, look, Captain Solo, and he's still frozen in carbonite. When he says, R2, look, you then George like shit. Well, I guess Richard Marquand. But we get a little shot of R2 leaning forward to look past 3PO to see Han on the wall. I just, I love R2's little lean forward. He's, R2, look. So he does. He looks. It's so great. Yep. <laughs> he he does. It's R2. R2 is the best. Like <laughs> anything that he does, I absolutely love. Uh, I, everybody knows he's my favorite character. So I, I yes, he does look. Um, there's some points I'll make about R2 later on. I, I love the fact of the how. Sorry, I'm thinking ahead of my words there. Uh, I love how uh, he's. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know how irreverent, how mm. uh, feisty he is with EV nine. EV nine nine, yeah, yeah, ninety nine. Uh, the Jabba's <laughs> uh, slave master droid. I don't know uh, droid master. Whatever, uh, I, I, how snarky he is, uh, it, it yeah. just... You're a feisty one, but you'll sh- soon learn respect. <laughs> I am need for you on the master's sail barge, and I think you'll feel in nicely. Yeah, you don't know R2. He's not going to uh, soon learn respect. Just going <laughs> to put that out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's really great. And then, of course, with uh, Luke showing up, do you have anything before we? Yeah, before Luke get shows to... up, uh, Leia shows up. <laughs> and, oh right, boy. Um, I a couple of things I, I was thinking through with with all of that when she shows up again. This was something that was added in '97 for the special editions. Right, we get the Jedi rocks in, in place of Lappy Neck. Age old debate debate of which one you prefer. It doesn't really matter. It's it's all taste. Um. I don't care. I love both songs. I think Lopty Neck works better in the movie, but I still love Jedi Rocks. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, when one of the additions I love in the special edition is when Leia, Leia shows up as Bausch and with Chewie, they cause this commotion. And Boba, we get this little shot of Boba Fett flirting with the the singers from the from the band. <laughs> I love that. I love that, like... People are intrigued by Boba Fett because, of course, they would. He's the mysterious guy in the background. Like, 
there's there's something super attractive about a mystery person uh and that's what boba fett is so i love that we get this like extra shot of him just flirting it up with these with the the singers from the band um and he just kind of like casually strolls over because he's like okay there's this new new bounty hunter in in the game here i better be attentive um right uh, yeah no it it's it's great because you know he's he's the man in the helmet and Obviously, we you know we know Boba Fett takes his helmet off, but it's not often, and you know especially when he's doing a job mm-hmm. like this, I uh, why you know he he doesn't really take his helmet off, and especially in a place like Jabba's palace, which is full of ruffians, and one of them could just make a go for anybody at any point. Uh, he wants to make sure he's well equipped in whatever situation but yes that that uh mysterious man in the helmet plus he brought in han solo which puts him on the top list of jabba's favorites at the at that time yeah which makes him even more intriguing so yeah uh everyone everyone is interested in eyeing him up for one reason or another i would imagine yeah <laughs> um but the the whole rescuing han scene i think is is ultimately um, really about about Leia. Um, and unfortunately, I think this is the culmination of her character arc in this movie. I, that's To me, that, that was... I noticed some of the flaws of this movie when I was watching it in theaters. And this is, this is not to say that I don't love Return of the Jedi because I do. But the only people... The only characters that get a strong arc through the whole movie are Luke and Vader. Um, Han and Leia's are... They're, there's just there's just not a lot to do with them, unfortunately. And I would say that this scene of Leia rescuing Han is the biggest character difference for her in in her whole story is right here in the first you know fifteen odd minutes of the movie, and her even being on this mission, her coming to Jabba's to rescue Han shows that Leia is in love with someone more than just something, right? Like there's something that matters to her now as much or more than the rebellion. Um, and I think I think that's super important to Leia's character that uh, that Leia is here, that Leia is actively trying to rescue Han because uh, for the first time probably ever in her life, she's willing to set the rebellion to the side for a personal endeavor. Um, I think that's super important. And, and when Han is, you know, when Han is unfrozen and, and he says to her, who are you? Someone who loves you, right? Like this is this is an identity moment, right? Like almost to like Luke at the end of the movie. I am a Jedi like my father before me. Who's Leia? Someone who loves you, right? Like there's something new about her sense of self at the start of this movie. She's not just Princess Leia, senator of the Imperial Senate, right? Or leader of the rebellion. She's also someone who who loves someone else. She loves Han Solo, um, and that's who she is now. Like that's part of her identity. So I think that's really important uh, as we open this film that we meet a very different Leia. Right when we first meet Leia in A New Hope, she's kind of this this you know fiery hearted rebel, and now she's she's still that and more. She's also someone now deeply in relationship, uh, and I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I agree, and we we see that that kind of continue throughout the movie as you know uh, she then follows Han to the Endor with the uh, the joining the ground mission, uh, you know, professing all of that again uh, at 
at the end of the battle. Um, and then, of course, she learns about Vader being her father, too. But yes, the, this is really kind of telling us that she's different now. This is the scene that really informs us that, you know, all of our characters, our main characters are different. Yeah. You know, Luke is, in, you know, much more uh, capable and comfortable in his role as a Jedi. Uh, Leia is letting herself experience personal desires and not just thinking about the rebellion anymore. Uh, and Han, as we will see develop through the movie, uh, is not as selfish anymore. His mm-hmm. the, the selfishness that he has had uh, seems to fade away and he's able to commit himself to a cause bigger than himself. Mm-hmm. You know, as these, these people become a family uh, and, and we get a lot of those, those new aspects to these characters gets established in this first act, obviously of the movie. And uh, we, we see them continue to play out uh, throughout the rest of the, the movie. So, yeah. Uh, And um, obviously worth noting when Han is thrown into the cell with Chewie, I just, it's one of my favorite Han and Chewie moments is Chewie petting Han. (laughs) Yes. Chewie's trying to catch his hair and hugging him is, it's great. Chewie's trying to catch him up on everything that's going on since he's been gone. You know, Luke's a Jedi Knight now, which Han finds ridiculous. Um, But it's just, I'm out of it for a little while and everybody gets delusions of grandeur. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right, pal. I'm all right. Uh, I, I, I love it. Like in the midst of all this, now everything is kind of falling apart. You know, they're, their plan has been uh, disrupted. Leia didn't get out of there with Han. She's now captured by Jabba. Han and Chewie are captured by Jabba. But there's this sense of levity. Um, and I know that was something that was George was really adamant about with Return of the Jedi. Um, is uh, it, it wasn't it was revealed not long after Return of the Jedi came out through some interviews that George wasn't particularly pleased with how dark Empire got. He thought Empire was a little too dark and he really wanted Return of the Jedi to be a really light, fun family movie. Um, And also George was going through a rough divorce at the time with children involved. So I think that Mm -hmm. impacted the way he made this movie. Um, And and, and I think this scene is perfectly illustrates that, right? Like in a sense, this story is pretty dire at this point. All our heroes are in the clutches of this vile gangster. Everybody's chained up and in prison. And yet you get this kind of moment of levity where, hey, I'm all right, pal. I'm all right. Like it's we as an audience, we're going to be okay. These these friends really love and care for each other, so everything will be okay. Um, yeah. I, so I I appreciate just that 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 tonal shift really as this movie opens from the previous movie. Um, you know, I don't think it's a course correction. I think it's just a tonal shift. That's all. Yeah, it, and it is. You know, there's a lot of you know debauchery but it is, it is uh in jabba's palace <laughs> but it does lend <laughs> it does lend a bit of levity to everything i'm sorry uh, i don't know why that's the word that just came out but but you get you know everyone's party everyone's laughing even if it's at our heroes mm-hmm. um you get the random you know shots of the the, the wart outside you know Z- you know, zapping a desert creature with his tongue and burping, you know, yeah, 
you know, the, you got all these little things to kind of keep the mood light, even though we're dealing with intense and uncomfortable situations for our heroes. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I think that's part of one reason why I like Return of the Jedi so much is I like the lighter tone mm-hmm. of it, the adventure and the fun, uh, that, that Return of the Jedi uh, has there's definitely a lot of of great character moments and uh, things like that that happen throughout this movie, but as you said, it is a much lighter, uh, more fun uh, adventure, and that's you know a lot of why I keep coming back to Star Wars. So of course that's going to be attractive to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and real quick, as you were mentioning that, you know, that that short little shot um, outside of the palace with the, the creature that eats the other space month, the space rat. Uh, once again, we have the twin sons, right? I mean, that's also kind of this callback. And, you know, the twin sunset in A New Hope is is exactly that. It is a sunset, right? It's it's kind of the setting of Luke's old life before the start of something new. I think it's interesting. I think what we're seeing here in Return of the Jedi is actually a sunrise, is a twin sunrise. Um, because my guess, like when Luke then comes into the palace in that very next scene, it's clearly daylight behind him, right? It's not the sun setting, it's the sun coming up. And of course, everybody is still asleep at sun up in Jabba's palace. They've been partying all night. Um, so I kind of almost like this, this bookend of, you know, we had a, a sunset for the, the ending of Luke's kind of, tedious boring life and now there's the sunrise on this this jedi knight now walking into the palace um you know the light has arrived i i I just i've always loved that shot of luke coming into the palace um right like that the the just the the door rising everything around him is darkness but behind luke he is just silhouetted by this you know this massively bright white light um it's it's Mm -hmm. luke coming in into the darkness um and and we're meant to wonder then, but where's he at? Because the, he's dressed all in black. You know, he has a hood yep. on that is in very similar shape to the cowl of Vader's mask. And then the first thing we see him do is force choke some guards. Um, I'm with you, Jason, too. I, I don't think he kills them. I think it's just more to incapacitate them. Um, yeah. uh, I remember this was like a few years back on Twitter. Some somebody who's like big in the Twitter world in Star Wars made the claim that Luke just force pushed them and was vehement that that's all it was. It wasn't force choke, but that guy's a friggin' idiot. Uh, it's definitely a force choke. And not only is it, they're, they're is choking. It, you can see them. Yes. Are. They're literally grabbing their throat. So this idiot, this idiot is just so wrong. I just, I get so annoyed at like star Wars people who pretend to know everything and they're just friggin' wrong. Um, this was one of those fools. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's clear that he's choking them. And not only is it evident in the movie itself, but, Again, going back to 1983, this was George trying to make the audience ask, where's Luke at, right? Yeah. Um, he really was trying to imply that Luke could fall to the dark side at the opening of, that in this movie. Um, and that's that's really what that scene's about. Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, setting us up to question and to wonder uh, how much of Vader's revelation at the end of an of Empire Strikes Back has affected Luke, mm-hmm. and in what direction? Um, 
obviously it's a huge life changing, life altering moment for him in more ways than one, obviously. And he lost a hand over it. Um, but, <laughs> but it's the entire foundation of why he left with Obi-Wan to learn the ways of the force and become a Jedi. Like my father is shaken. It's completely shaken. And now we have to, you know, we have to find Luke in a situation where he can still be a hero to save his friends, but is what he's doing and the way he's doing it doing the right way? Is he uh is he still doing everything for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. And we have to give him that sort of gray area to get to the point where he makes the declaration at the end of the movie, I am a Jedi like my father before me. Um, and, and you're right. This is definitely where we, we add that, those elements of gray to Luke um, because he, he does kind of just walk in and he's like, you're going to do what I say. And that's the way it's going to happen. Yeah. He's not negotiating. He's like, Nope, this is how things are going to work. And you could say, well, that's the only way that you can really, you know, get through to Java, which is true. Uh, but it can also make you say, oh, is he just out here trying to uh, do things his way uh, because he thinks he knows best? You know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I love the confidence that he elicits in front of Jabba. Yes. I mean, he's just he's so in command of himself that whole time. He's not scared at all. I mean, this is the biggest crime lord in the galaxy, and Luke just struts in like it's nothing. And he struts in unarmed, um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and and when he when he's you know tries that force persuasion then on Jabba, right? Like he easily does it to Bib Fortuna. But you will bring Captain Solo and his and and his friends to me. You know, there's that quick pause of Jabba going, oh, "You won't work on me, right. boy," right? I've always interpreted that like pause there as Luke almost is able to do it. He's almost able to force persuade Jabba, which um, again, this is all legends canon at this point, but uh, huts are similar to Dordarians. They're, you know, Mm -hmm. mind tricks don't work on them, only money. Um, And yet Luke is almost able to do it to Jabba here, right? So it's establishing that he has really stepped into his Jedi powers, his his ability to, to commune with the force. And I think... Something in this scene that has become really interesting in light of episode three is when Luke says, you know, it's your choice, but I warn you not to underestimate my powers. I mean, that's Anakin right before he tries to jump over Obi-Wan on Mustafar, right? You underestimate my powers. Um, you know, Return Revenge of the Sith makes this scene just hit differently, in my opinion, right? Uh, You're there, right, it there's, does. There's an arrogance almost to Luke. It's, you know, when you look at, and when you watch this scene next to the Revenge of the Sith scene, um, you know, I don't think Luke is intending to be arrogant. I think he's just simply intending to be confident. Um, but there is, all, again, it's poetry, it rhymes. <laughs> you know, it's... Right. Has Luke delved so deeply into his powers that he thinks... His power makes him invincible. Right. And, you know, perhaps he's uh, right to to think that because he manages to unarmed kill the Rancor. Yeah. And survive that whole fight. Mm-hmm. You know, is he right to think that? You know, we're, uh, we're uh, 
we're we're playing with the the semantics, obviously, but you know, it, it's designed to make you question. But on the other hand, it's also just another example of of how how more advanced in his abilities Luke has become, mm-hmm. and you know, the the hero, you know, that he is able to be now. You know, he is a hero in many senses because he is able to do all these things and uh you know not not to say that heroes have to be this powerful to be able to be a hero but he has stepped into kind of the the capital h hero role uh by being able to do all of these things in a way that you know he he never would have even dreamed of being able to do two movies ago. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, we thought it was amazing when he was able to hit the, uh, the, the death star exhaust port with the proton torpedo, the exhaust port with a proton torpedo without using his targeting computer. And now he's, you know, flipping around and killing rancors barehanded, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. He's, he's in a different place. Um, yeah. And, 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 and again, this whole, you know, as I kind of said earlier, him sending the droids was his white flag. And again, he then he comes in unarmed, again, trying to be a Jedi negotiator. He and, and we're going to see Luke do this again later in the movie with Vader, right? He he surrenders himself first. He tries the route of peace first and foremost. He's not going to take up arms until he's absolutely forced to because um, yep. that's the way of the Jedi. Um, but yeah, then Jabba forces his hand. He has to fight and kill the Rancor. Um, and then when the, the crew is reunited, I love that, you know, uh, Han and Luke, they're coming back together, you know, how we doing? Same as always that bad, huh? Um, you know, again, there's this, there's this jokiness to this again, similar to what we were talking about earlier, right? They're in this dire situation, but this movie is just a different tonality, you know, everything's okay because Hey, they're finally back together. And think it just struck me, Jason, the last time Han and Luke saw each other was under the Falcon at Echo Base, right? And Han's last yeah. words were him to him were, be careful, you too, right? And now they finally see each other about a year later after Han's been in Carbonite, after Luke's gone into Jedi training, right? They're in very different places. Um, yeah. And yet we know that because they're together, they're going to be okay. Because the last time they were all together was on board the Death Star and they got out of there okay, Right, exactly. Um, but of course, they are sentenced to uh, be fed to the Sarlacc in the in the Great Pit of Carcoon. Uh, we've been di- still digested for over a thousand years. Um, second, I'll just pass on that, huh? Um, <laughs> I, I, I love Han's coping mechanism is sarcastic quips, um, and considering the fact that he feels. You can tell he feels very uncomfortable, very out of his element. He's, you know, still blind. Uh, he's having to rely on Luke to get him out, um, which can't see that Luke is a lot more confident in the way that Luke is carrying himself. Um, so he's having a hard time with all of this. Uh, he's resorting to the the sarcastic humor to kind of uh, be his way to gain some control over his situation. Mm-hmm. And I, lo- I love how that's kind of the way that, that he's been coping through all this after his sort of like, I can't believe everything meltdown in the cell with, with Chewie. 
he's gotten control of himself, and this is how he's fighting back is with his caustic wit. Uh, <laughs> 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 and it and it doesn't and it's not even solely directed at at Jabba either, you know, as they're traveling out to the pit of Carcoon and he's talking about how he can see things uh, better. And Luke says, eh, there's nothing to see. I used to live out here. You're going to die out here, you know, <laughs> convenient. So he's <laughs> just everybody. Everybody's a target. Yeah. Um, I used to live here, you know, you're going to die here, you know, convenient. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, isn't that great? <laughs> but yeah, it, and we get to the pit of Carcoon and we get, you know, what I have obviously, you know, we, we've talked about this scene so many times and I, I call it the return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the, that's the name of the track on the original vinyl album soundtrack from 1983 is this track is called the return of the Jedi. And it's the piece of music here from the Sarlacc battle. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. It's, it's definitely one of the best pieces of music in, in the movie, I think um, it thematically fits everything perfectly. The the editing and the music just are spot on here. Yeah, uh, but I always love how R two is so in tune with Luke's plans and, and the plans of our heroes, whether it's Luke or Anakin or whoever he's teamed up with at the time that he's able to find a way to get Luke Saber to him, mm-hmm. even though there's not been a plan beforehand. You know, he R2 is very good at thinking on his feet, wheels, <laughs> um, treads, uh, <laughs> and uh, helping to make things happen. And this is, you know, this is just me gushing about my favorite character. So sue me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, uh, I... I love how, you know, obviously the the plan was to get Luke's saber back to him at some point. But it's like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. They didn't know they were going to, you know, be taken to the Sarlacc in the pit of Carcoon. But they they stop and R2 stops serving drinks and slips away and is able to be there to launch the saber right when Luke needs it. Um, and obviously they communicate with the salute. So they, they know that they're on the same page. But yeah, it's... Uh, I love the fact that R2 is able to kind of uh, read the situation and make sure that everyone's good to go. Yeah. I, uh, I love the, the way I like the way you put it. R2 is just kind of dialed in with Luke and my own headcanon that I just came up with recently is the whole salute thing there. Uh, you know, I feel like Luke probably would have said to R2, like, all right, you know, when, when things, when push comes to shove, I'm going to need my lightsaber. Uh, I'll signal to you that I need it. And because of R2 knowing the salute from when Anakin did it in the Zygerian slavery arc in the Clone Wars, uh, I loved, I would like to think in my head canon that R2 suggests to Luke, just give me a salute. <laughs> Cause like yeah, in, R2's, I, in R2's memory, it's like, be like your dad, just give me the salute. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's how we did this last time. Just yeah. we'll do that. That works. Yep. Uh, I, I love that. I love that head cannon, and it is now uh, official Wampus Lair cannon. Um, <laughs> Excellent. That that's that's how that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. Um, you know, this whole Sarlacc battle is is. 
first and foremost, like you said, it's really highlighting the return of the Jedi because Luke is here now. I mean, he is a Jedi in his own right. Uh, he's got his own lightsaber that he clearly built. Um, and uh, what what's so um, important, again, to kind of continue something from Empire Strikes Back is – I would say one of the primary lessons Yoda tries to teach Luke while he's on Dagobah is you got to believe in yourself. You have to believe in yourself and what you're capable of doing through the force. That's what we see Luke eliciting throughout the entire Jabba sequence from the moment he Mm -hmm. strolls in to when he's kicking butt at the Sarlacc pit, right? It's this is Luke. This is the Luke who believes himself, you know, and that's to me captured in the line when he says to Han, don't worry, I've taken care of everything, right? There's, it's 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 bordering on arrogant, but it really is just this extreme confidence that Luke has really stepped into oneness with the force. He is one with the force and the force is with him and he's confident mm-hmm. in that he is. He has learned the lesson that Loda, Yoda was trying to teach him in Empire Strikes Back. Um, so that's what we see. Like, I, I love how much Return of the Jedi really is a continuation of so much of the thematic elements of Empire. Yes, and Luke has taken all of the training from Yoda to heart. And, you know, even in his time away from Dagobah, has continued to uh, learn from everything that Yoda has said and apply those lessons to how, how he acts and behaves and uses the Force. Um, and, and we're seeing all of that sort of be revealed. And it makes me wonder, you know, obviously the... There's stories that happen that I'm not aware of between, you know, Empire and Jedi. But it makes me wonder if this is sort of like Luke really finally just saying, putting it all together and letting it all out um, in a way that's, you know, now become a natural outworking of how he uh, walks in the Force Mm -hmm. um, and as a Jedi in his identity. Uh, So... It's great. And it's a it's a really fun sequence. You know, everyone gets their their moments to shine. Uh, you know, Lando, Han, Chewie, uh, Leia, R2 and 3PO and obviously Luke. But it, it's such a great sequence because it really is the gang is back together. Not only yeah. is it at the return of the Jedi, but the gang's back together. Mm-hmm. And when they're all back together, nothing can stop them. So yeah. yep. and and that's really, I think the point of this whole sequence on Tatooine is we're getting the gang back together and we need to see them all working together um, because they're going to get kind of separated by the end of the movie again. You know, Luke's not going to be on Endor. Lando's going to be flying in the space battle. Um, They're all going to be working for the same goal, but they're not going to be together. But we need this sort of moment to to have them all be together, working together in a way that shows all of their new strengths and how they're relying on each other. Mm, yep. Yeah. And and I, I feel like it, we've talked about this in the past when also talking about the opening of this movie, but I think the whole Jabba sequence is kind of a microcosm of what's going to happen for the rest of the story and and yeah. for the galaxy at large, right? I mean, that's always been the point in, in both of George's trilogies is the story of our of our small band of heroes is also a mirror of the story at large. 
Um, right. That that's also true in the prequels. What's happening with Anakin and Padme and Obi-Wan is also being mirrored in the galaxy at large. Uh, so like you said, the gang's back together and it's a reminder of when these, when these group of characters are together, there's nothing they can't accomplish. So they overcome Jabba. They beat all the odds there. So we can go into the, to the end game, knowing that the rebels are in good, in a good place. Um, yeah, but and, then the odds uh, get bigger. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Uh, and uh, as the the Sarlacc battle ends, again, I just to just kind of go with this little theme of callbacks and nostalgia. We get another Luke and Leia swinging across the chasm moment. Right? Yes, uh, they're different characters at this point. Um, but again, it's just like that sense of adventure is back. You know, we have our hero swinging to safety once again. Yeah, no, that that's great. That that's you're so right. I, I don't know why that one didn't click with me, but because there's all these other rhyming beats. But yes, absolutely, Luke and Leia swinging across a chasm to safety. Uh, whether it's a chasm in the Death Star or a pit. Uh, uh, in the sands of Tatooine, uh, Luke and Leia are always just one swing away from getting out alive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> makes me makes me wonder how many other swings they've had in their their long uh, history of adventures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I I I also then just like love the shot of them leaving Tatooine. You know, the ship's kind of going their separate ways. The Falcon and the X-Wing split, but Han saying to Luke, you know, thanks for coming back, back for me. Uh, I think that's just, that's such an important beat for Han and where Han is then, because the next time we see Han, we essentially see him. He's now volunteered for this almost suicide mission. Uh, Han has, I think for the first time in his life, been surprised by the amount of love these people have for him. Uh, it reminded mm-hmm. me of a line in, in Rogue One when Jin says to Cassian, I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad, right? It's yeah. this, this idea that our char- you know, certain characters have come to expect when things go bad, everybody runs away because they're not used to people having their back. So to me, this line elicits for Han like – this sense of like wonder, appreciation, and love for what he has found in his life now with with Han and with Luke and Leia and the droids and Lando, right? This little family that came back for him. I don't think he ever would have expected that in his previous life. So Han is now a dramatically different person than before. He's not just in love with Leia, but now he's in love with this cause that his family believes in. Yeah, and uh, the you know the the way he says thank you, you know. He- he can't just like say, uh, have a heartfelt thank you. That really means a lot to me kind of thing with Luke. Uh, it's like, thanks. I owe you one. You know, it's, yeah. it, he, he's still kind of got that old way, but you know, it, it's hard for him to, to say, you know, I really appreciate this, that I, you know, I didn't, I don't know what I would have done if you guys hadn't come and rescued me. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, but it's shorthand. It's shorthand for for this group of of family, this group of friends that are now a family, and Luke knows exactly what that means. Yeah, um, Hans. So. When Hans says, "Now I owe you one," I remember when I was younger, I, that always bothered me. I was like, "No, you don't." He technically still owes you one because in Empire, you know, after he saves him from <laughs> the Wampa, he's like, "That's two, Yomi Junior." 
now Luke right. still technically owes him one. So I don't know when Han said that. I was like, no, you don't. He owes you one still. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, technically you're right, but, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, uh, that, that, that uh, hibernation sickness made you lose your math. Yeah. On. yeah. I made him. For, I guess I made him forget the first time he rescued Luke. Uh, right, right. But, uh, yeah, uh, so we are, so I would, I mean, I would almost argue, Jason, this technically to me is kind of the end of act one, um, how it structurally works, but for the sake of like how much movie we would then have to talk to with act two, we're going to extend a couple of scenes here, uh, and Mm -hmm. talk about the emperor's arrival and then kind of his final visit with Yoda and Obi-Wan, um, but uh, yeah, and, and, and as we go into those scenes, I, I've always loved the Emperor Arrival scene. I, I just yes. love the martial look. I love the black and whites and the grays of the hangar bay and then the the blood red royal guards descending those ramps, you know. And, you know, we obviously saw in Empire Strikes Back finally Vader be sub- fully submissive, right? Like I insinuated earlier, in A New Hope, he's – I mean, I don't think he's literally Tarkin's lapdog, but he is – I wouldn't say he's ever submissive to Tarkin. He's just more of an equal. But the Emperor, mm-hmm. he is submissive, right? And when the Emperor arrives, he drops to that knee. He, I mean, he won't even look him in the eye until he says, rise, my friend. I mean, this is a very submissive Darth Vader. And again, I think the prequels make this even more powerful with knowing where Anakin comes from. This is little Annie once again enslaved to someone else. Uh, that's to yeah. me what this scene really elicits when you watch it in light of the prequels. Yeah. And the, you know, the emperor saying, rise, my friend. It's so, you know, friend is, doesn't really mean friend with yeah. these two. You know, it, it's said as a way to sort of pay homage, uh, perhaps to, you know, Padawan Anakin and Jedi Knight Anakin and Palpatine as they were, you know, uh, developing this close relationship as Palpatine, you know, was feeding more and more and more of the, you know, twisting, you know, the force around Anakin and and luring him to the dark side um, back during the prequels. But, you know, friend is said here with such... uh, without any emotion and without any sincerity, it's almost a throwaway, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, rise, my friend. It's, it's almost dismissive and demeaning. Um, And, and yet Vader still in this period submits to that. And, uh, they both pretend like that word means something when they know it doesn't. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then we get like their scheming. Uh, and um, at this point, the emperor is, he recognizes how strong Luke has become. I mean, he obviously feels it in the force and is implying to Vader, like, we got to do this together now. He's too strong for either of us to turn on our own. But right, it then it, to me it then opens up this question of 
you know, and again, these were these are things that are now known to us because of the prequels and the canon that came with the prequel stories. Um, but with the rule of two, this wouldn't make any sense. You know, this idea of the emperor and Vader team, teaming up to turn somebody to another Sith apprentice. I feel like the emperor's got to know that Vader is trying to find Luke to do exactly what the emperor would expect, which is train him to overthrow the emperor. And here the uh-huh. emperor is just throwing it in Vader's face. Like we got to get, we got to turn him together, but Vader's got to be thinking, yeah, the emperor wants to bring him in so that he can turn him against me. Right. So like it's like they're plotting right in front of each other, but pretending as if they're going to do this together. Well, they both want Luke on their side. They mm-hmm. both want Luke on the dark side, but they want Luke on their dark side. And the the problem is, is that for Palpatine anyways, is he had well over a decade to slowly and surely weave a web around Anakin so that all he had to do was pull a single string in the end and Anakin fell right into his hand. He doesn't have that with Luke. It's going to have to be an, an outright power struggle mm-hmm. against Luke. Um, he knows Luke has a weakness in his friends, in his father. And that's what he can try and play off of. But ultimately it's going to come down to a power struggle between the two of them. Vader has a lot more of an in with Luke, but doesn't have the, but probably doesn't have the, the power to do an all out power struggle against Luke and doesn't, their relationship is complicated enough that, uh, Vader asking Luke to join him on the dark side might, will likely be met with resistance. Uh, you know, he probably doesn't expect Luke to offer the same return to the light side that Luke offers him later on. But, you know, it's just an interesting dynamic. And the two of them know that they need to work together to get Luke to turn. They're just hoping they're going to be the one left holding the bag when Luke turns, uh, you know, and able to have Luke on their side against the other. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, kind of, um, but not really. I don't know. It, it's a very complicated situation. The, the Sith always know that they're trying to scheme against each other. Mm-hmm. And obviously we saw this um, with with Palpatine and, and Dooku throughout the Clone Wars uh, with Asajj and Savage, and then obviously... Alpatine one with Anakin uh, turning into Vader. So uh, this is just all of that happening all over again, except a bit more directly because yeah. they've, there's only really one option for the two of them to go after. So they got to go after the same one together. Yep. So- <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and this whole sequence ends with just a, re- a reminder of, what will ultimately be the emperor's undoing, which is his arrogance, his God complex of everything is going as I have, you know, as, as I have planned, you know, it's, it's just, that's the trope for him throughout the whole movie is everything is he's seen it all. It's going exactly as he's willed it and as he planned it. And he thinks he's God at the end of the day. Right. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's his, it's what Luke picks up on later on the movie, you know, 
uh, your overconfidence is your weakness. <laughs> and, and he's right. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that when we get to it, but yeah. they're both right in that scene. Mm-hmm. You know, your overconfidence is your weakness. Your faith in your friends is yours. They're both right. Yeah. Um, it's just, well, we'll talk about that one later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, we got one last one last trip to to go on before we wrap up this episode. We got to go back to Dagobah. Yes, my favorite planet. One of your favorite places. Um, I just I just wish Yoda was hiding out on a much nicer planet. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful planet, Jason. It's beautiful. It's teeming with the Force. Um, uh, yeah, but Luke goes back. Uh, apparently, Yoda's has clung enough to life to make it to those 900 years to have this final meeting with Luke. Um, but several things really stand out to me in this scene. And the first of which is Yoda's just quiet, dignified acceptance of death um, and death as being the way of the force. Right. You know, Luke saying like, you can't die, you know, strong am I in the force? Not that strong. Right. It's, it's this reminder of immortality in that sense is not what life is about. Right. And that's what I mean, that's what the emperor is clearly after. But Yoda yes. has an acceptance for the way of the force. And part of the way of the force is death. Um, yeah. Now, Yoda. And, and, go ahead. Sorry. And, and we see the, the emperor just almost viciously clinging to that kind of of immortality, because obviously, you know, that's part of why he comes back in the rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. you know, and everything that's led that led up to that being possible you know, um, since his demise here at the end of this movie. But yes, Yoda is completely the opposite of that. And it's, it's beautiful, you know, in a sense. Um, and, and it is a, a a noble acceptance. It's like, this is, this is when my time ends and he's accepted that. And, and it's, it is kind of a it's sad, but it is beautiful mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. And and I don't know if Yoda knows exactly that he'll get to connect. You know, he'll become like a force ghost like Obi-Wan because clearly he does. Um, I'm sure he knows. Some, but but I think Obi-Wan has also proven to him, too, though, that there is something more um, that, you know, death in this plane is not an infinite death. Um but yeah, there's, I just, I love that quiet dignity and, um, you know, it's, it's a reminder to Luke to let life happen on its own terms, right? It's, it's a lesson that Anakin was never able to learn. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Yoda's kind of final, uh, teaching and admonition to Luke is to, it's, it's a two-parter confront Vader pass on what you have learned. And I think it's important that it is in fact, this two part, uh, uh, message first and foremost, uh, you're not quite a Jedi yet, right? You have to have that, that final test, right? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, 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 and and it's, it's the confront, you know, you have to confront Vader. It's important to know Yoda doesn't say kill him. He just says, confront him. You have to, you have to, make sense and make peace with this part of your identity. You have to make sense of what this means and also pass on what you've learned. And I think the reason I love it that it's, there's this second part to it is because I think it's Yoda in Yoda saying to Luke in no uncertain terms, 
I believe in you. You can do this. I believe that you can confront Vader and that you will come out on the other side of that as a Jedi. And because of that, you are the right person to pass on what you have learned. You are the right person to continue the order of the Jedi. And here's my question to you, Jason. Yes. Yoda says to Luke, you know, when I'm gone, the last of the Jedi, you will be. We know that Ezra is running around. Kanan is now technically dead, but he knows Ahsoka's out there. He knows somebody like Ezra's out there. Now we've got things like Jedi survivor. Like Yoda is aware that there are other Jedi clearly around in the galaxy. However, he calls Luke the last Jedi. I mean, yes, I do think in 1983, that was literal. That was meant to be George saying the Jedi are all, they're all pretty much dead. (laughs) So Luke is the last one, you know, uh, I partially blame J- Dave Filoni for the reason that that's not entirely true anymore. I don't blame George. I blame Dave. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, because of his inability to let Ahsoka go. Um, and uh, anyway, but like he's he's just like Anakin. No, yeah, he can't let her um, go. Like, I, I love Ahsoka, but she should have been dead in Rebels. <laughs> Sorry. That's just that's my honest opinion. Uh, not because I don't love her, but because I think uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm excited for the Ahsoka show. <laughs> um, all that yes. to say, so so this, but this message now means something different in light of where Canon has taken us to this point. So is this Yoda specifically entrusting Luke to carry on the Jedi Order? Then perhaps right, rather than just you know the 1983 message was, I think, continued training Jedi because you're the last one. I think now though it's. It's a particular message to Luke, right? Like I think, for instance, like in the Ahsoka series, Ahsoka is clearly not out there trying to con- restart the Jedi Order. That's not what she feels no. called to do. So is this maybe what Luke is telling Luke or excuse me, what Luke is telling Luke? Yoda is telling Luke is when I'm gone, the order of the Jedi Knights will cease to exist except through you. Pass it on. What do you think? Uh, to some extent, yes, I think so. He He is entrusting the the future of i don't know what else you would call it but you know the the jedi order is a, i don't know that feels a little impersonal to what yoda is is entrusting luke the the ideals of the jedi the the calling of the jedi perhaps is is more what i would i would lean towards but that that you know it's, I'm playing with semantics there. But yes, I do think he is entrusting the future of who the Jedi become to Luke in this point. Um, and that is why he's saying, pass on what you have learned. You know, the, there are others out there. There are others who are Force sensitive, uh, others who were Jedi, others who were trained by Jedi uh, who are out there in, in the galaxy. You know, um, but. Luke is the one who learned really what it means to be a Jedi from two of the last members of the Jedi Council, you know, Mm -hmm. Yoda and Obi-Wan, you know. So Yoda is, and that is what Yoda has been dedicated to for his whole life. And this this is more than just, you know, the extension of, and the the reemergence of a Jedi Order. This is this this ideal, this calling, this purpose of a Jedi that Yoda has been holding on to and safeguarding since the Purge. 
that is what he's entrusting to Luke. I think mm-hmm. more than anything else is he is passing on that, that intangible, what it is to be a Jedi that he has been protecting on Dagobah. He is passing that off to Luke. And, and I think that more than anything is what he is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very personal thing for Yoda. It's not just a, here's your next objective. Here's your next calling. Here's your next, this is, this is everything. Yeah. To Yoda. Yeah. That's a great, and point. he's, a, he's, a, he's trusting it to Luke. Yeah. And, and, and going back to what I mentioned earlier, it's because he thinks Luke can do it right. You, mm-hmm. You're going to come out of this confrontation with Vader better for it. And you will be the right person to continue this thing that I spent my entire life, 900 years devoted to. Yeah. And, and it's something I think it's key for Yoda to, to say to Luke is to not, is the pass on what you have learned because it gives him a future objective Mm. to keep in mind. Because if he doesn't have a future objective, it's the only thing he gives to Luke is you must confront Vader. Luke is very capable of sacrificing himself in the process of confronting Vader. Yeah. He's very capable of it and would accept that easily. He would, he would accept that that is a possibility very easily. Yeah. Um, and so I think Yoda giving him that second part of the, the call, if you will, is to keep Luke looking, looking to the future. Hmm. Uh, in a sense, um, which is kind of funny because he chides Luke for doing that in Empire, you know, look away to the future. Um, but it is, you have to keep the future in mind, even if you're living in the present, mm-hmm. because what you do in the present impacts the future. Yep. And, and I think that's key to give Luke mm-hmm. because everything right now for Luke is focused around what he does next involving his father. Yeah. And that's why he questions Yoda about it um, here. So it's, and Yoda recognizes that, that, you know, you, you do need that. And then he gives him one last little, little extra. There's another Skywalk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Leaves it his, I mean, his dying word to him is essentially, you're not going to be alone. You know, you're not, right. you're not the only one in this anymore. Um, and then when he confronts Obi-Wan to kind of get the fullness of all of what that means, um, also worth noting, it's the first time ever Luke calls him Obi-Wan. He's always called him Ben because that's how we kind of knew him, yeah. Ben Kenobi. But when he says Yoda will always be with you, Obi-Wan, right? It's the first time he right. ever calls him by that name. Um, and I mean, this this exposition dump of a scene, really, it's, it's you know, it's it's finishing connecting all the dots that George opened at Empire. Um, right. But it, it's I think the heart of the scene is, you know, that scene opens with Luke saying to R2, I can't go on alone. It's it's Obi-Wan showing up to say you're not alone, not only because I'm here with you. Um, Yoda will always be with you, whatever that might mean. But we'll see at the end of the movie mm-hmm. what that means. He's still, he'll be alive in the force as well. And you're not alone because you actually have a sister right now that is closer to you than you could have ever thought. <laughs> um, right. Exactly. So it's, it's this really this message of Luke isn't alone. And I think what's also going on is I, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about Obi-Wan in this scene. Um, and, and mainly because of all the stories we've gotten since. 
specifically the Kenobi series, uh, Obi-Wan at this point has given up on Vader. You know, he's more machine now than man twisted and evil. Um, there is no, you know, you, you know, Luke saying, I can't kill my own father. Well, the emperor's already won, right? To me, when you watch still think, I still think like, while it is the most, one of the most beautiful scenes in the Kenobi series is of course that, you know, Anakin's exposed face in the Vader mask and Obi-Wan, this really heartfelt, beautiful scene. The fact that that happens though, and Obi-Wan just walks away still makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, um, but, and, and now it makes this scene sound like Obi-Wan's just passing the buck. Do what I couldn't do. Once again, when I had the opportunity to strike down Darth Vader, I couldn't bring myself to do it because I still love Anakin. But now he's trying to pretend like Anakin's not there and passing the buck to Luke. You go kill him. (laughs) So I don't know. Obi-Wan comes across to me as a little bit, I don't know, like kind of an asshole. I'm just going to put it out there. Like I know there's a lot of Kenobi lovers out there, but because of the series Kenobi, this scene makes Obi-Wan seem lazy and... Uh, unwilling to do what he wants someone else to do. Um, I don't think that's what was intended in 1983, but I think the Kenobi series, that's one of my issues with that show is I think it broke canon in small ways that weren't helpful. Um, And this is one of those uh, to me. I I don't know. I'd have to give that some more thought. I I don't think, I don't think Obi-Wan is necessarily passing the buck. I think Obi-Wan just has a much not much more, but a, a Obi-Wan has a blind spot when it mm. comes to Anakin and Vader uh, and because of how much that broke him. Obi-Wan is still a broken person mm. and he is, uh, you know, he was a great teacher. He knows what he's doing when it comes to the ways of the force and training Luke and things like that. But, when it comes to Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, he that is the point that broke Obi-Wan Kenobi. The end of Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. and again in Kenobi. And because of that, and because Obi-Wan doesn't know how to heal from that completely he still has a blind spot there. And and I think it takes this scene and and Obi-Wan just kind of saying, you know, Obi-Wan revealing that, you know, you'll find many of the, the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. And that, you know, and the Emperor's already won if you don't if you don't kill Vader. It takes this for Luke to understand Obi-Wan's limitations. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and, and maybe, and, and I'm sort of retrospecting all of this in terms of what we have now, in, everything, in terms of everything we have now. Uh, you know, the, the scene ends with, you know, Obi-Wan saying, you know, your feelings, they, they do you credit, but they could be made to serve the Emperor. And then Luke sort of kind of sits back and gets contemplative as he mm. kind of digests everything. I imagine that flight from Dagobah to meet up with the rebels was done largely in silence. Sure. Yeah. Um, and 
and Luke weighing the different approaches that Yoda and Obi-Wan took towards Vader and trying to figure out what his, what that means for him and what actions that has to take. Uh, that means for him to take. I think, I think it takes this scene and Obi-Wan admitting that he has a flaw by saying, you'll find many of the tr- truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Um, for Luke to to see all of that. And that flaw is still there for Obi-Wan. It's still there. And it's still influencing things when it comes to this one person. Um, yeah. And I think that's just what this all, what, what all of this is. Uh, I dig that. Yeah, I like that a lot, Jason, that um, Obi-Wan is not a perfect character, which is which is true. Nobody is. Um, right. But yeah, there's there's this weak spot Obi Wan speaking out of, um, and and to be fair, you know I I, I I'm a little hard I was a little harsh there. <laughs> I, I love Obi Wan, <laughs> I love Obi Wan so much. Um, but when he walks away from that moment, right? I mean, he says, "My friend is tr- then my friend is truly gone," and goodbye, Darth. Right? I think when Obi Wan walks away from that scene, well, I still don't fully understand why he does. Um, it's clearly an emotional response and um, for Obi-Wan to walk away from that, it's this, you know, if, if Vader's helmet hadn't been split, there's a good chance he would have run him through. I feel like, but just seeing Anakin's face, hearing Anakin's voice again, it's hard for him to just, but but when he walks away, it, it is, I think this is where that scene, then it leans into that, which is, you know, so long Darth, my friend is truly gone. So this is what he's sharing with Luke. You know, he is gone. Mm -hmm. He has said so himself. He's gone. The only thing you can do at this point is destroy him. Um, I, I, sorry. I just can't, a theory came to me as to why he doesn't run Vader through at the end of Kenobi. Padme. Hmm. Padme is still there in his mind. Everything, the everything that happens in Revenge of the Sith with Anakin turning to the dark side, just completely breaking Obi Wan in that moment is all intrinsically wrapped up. Also, with Padme's dying words mm. and the twins. Yeah, they're so and good, so man. every time he sees Anakin's face he still hears Padme saying there's still good in him. Yep. And he can't, he can't ignore Padme saying that. And I I feel like maybe, maybe in his subconscious killing Anakin would be a betrayal of Padme. Yeah. To him. Yeah. That's a really good point, Jason. It's a great point. And now, and now with this scene ending with contemplative Luke, I love the way you put it, that, that, that ride now from Dagobah to the, to the rebel fleet is an opportunity for Luke to try to start making sense of, well, what do I do? I, cause I think at that point he's settled on the fact that I'm going to, I am going to confront him, but what do I want that to, to look like? Does this mean I have to kill him or does it mean something else? Um, mm-hmm. And again, there, these are some pretty pivotal choices Luke makes internally but off camera um and i don't know how you yeah how you make those scenes happen um but uh yeah i i really like that notion a lot yeah uh, yeah the, the, i 
I imagine Luke, you know, settling in, uh, taking off from Dagobah, being very, very quiet, and R2 being intuitive enough to not push it. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> exactly. And the two of them just uh, riding out out of the atmosphere and into hyperspace in silence. Right. Probably didn't break the silence until they uh, came out of hyperspace to the rebel, uh, the rebel fleet. Yeah. That's how it plays out in my head. I would imagine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, that's going to, that'll wrap up our rendition of act one. Um, and uh, next week we're going to pick right up with that, with that rebel briefing. Oh man, this is where things start to pick up and get exciting. And we just start moving headlong to the finale of return of the Jedi. So, uh I'm so excited. I'm so excited for the next couple of episodes. I'm so, I'm so excited for Return of the Jedi May this year. <laughs> so, um, I'm, yes, this is this is my favorite so far of everything. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what that means, but yes. Oh, well, this has been fantastic, uh, Carl. If people want to weigh in on any of their thoughts from everything that we covered from Act One of Return of the Jedi. Uh, which was far ranging. Where can people do that? Sure. Well, we are on Instagram at the Wampas Lair, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Wampas Lair or email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. And uh, obviously, we'll be continuing this with Act Two next week. Um, anything else, Carl, before we close down this episode? Nope. Well,. That'll wrap this up. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to episode 511 of the Wampus Lair podcast, Return of the Jedi, Act 1. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair.